Hello, hello, and welcome to this, the 10th episode of the Weekly Watchlist, another pop culture podcast brought to you by the good people at MGA Traffic. William, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. You said that with conviction, but I don't believe you. I'm not. I'm just saying positive things to stay afloat. Um, But my life is very, very boring at the moment. It is. It's shocking, isn't it? We've just, obviously, since we last recorded, we've been told that this lockdown's Groundhog Day. This is ain't <laughs> never going to end. It's been eighty-two years. It's just a perpetual, perpetual <laughs> spring at the moment. We just can't get out of this lockdown. But that has meant we've had to be not creative as such, but we have had to seek out and find and search for new things to watch, consume, uh, and otherwise enjoy from a media perspective, which is what we do on this program. We get together. Um, it's really an indeterminate uh, time frame at the moment, just whenever we can of late. Um, and yeah, talk Whenever about, we feel like it. Pretty much. And talk about uh, what we've watched, read, listened to, etc. cetera, um, since we last spoke. Uh, it's inspired by Steven Soderbergh, who does a similar thing. He keeps a diary of everything he watches throughout the course of the year and publishes at year's end. And it sort of shows some interesting patterns and what watching one thing sends you down a rabbit hole and the like. So um, I, being the gentleman that I am, I'm going to give the new ball to Will, Ooh. and he can lead us off with his first watch of the week. What was it? My first week, my first week of the watch. Wow, it's been my a long time. Of the week, <laughs> it just shows my mental state at the moment. Just getting right. back into the rhythm of the pod. Getting back into the <laughs> rhythm of the pod. Lucy Goosey, Lucy Goosey, <laughs> Lucy Goosey. All right, uh, my first watch of the fortnight, I guess. Beautiful um, delivery was De Five Bloods. The, what the fuck is that? What is it called? Uh, De Five Bloods. Oh, the Chadwick Boseman thing. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Rest a, in know, peace. A, a memorial watch yes. per se. I've been need, I've been wanting to watch it for a couple of weeks. Rest in peace, Chadwick. I was like, well, you know, while he's not there anymore, I'll give it a go. Before, um, before we get into your thoughts, what a shock! Yeah, crazy. Like, what a so shock! I, like, I got tagged in something from Maddie. I was like, what? And then I went on Twitter and I was like, nah, this is like a thing. Went on Twitter, I was like, okay, he's actually dead now. Well, I think I. I logged on to Twitter. You sent me a message, um, and it obviously broke very like spread like wildfire once it broke. Because mm. I, I reckon I I saw it. I was doing some work on the Saturday, saw it on Twitter. You know, like you just opened Twitter just to yeah. what's trending, any new news, etc. And his name was trending, and and this is terribly macabre. But whenever you see a celebrity's name, you sort of your first instinct is. What's he done? <laughs> yeah, first, my first instinct, yeah. as terrible as it sounds, is like, oh, he's not dead, is he? And yeah. then, and then you sort of go, no, of course not. Go, no, it might be a. They've done a. They've done a Black Panther announcement or yeah. such and such. He's he's a, a new role, or the yeah. like. You and I, yeah. So I clicked on it and genuinely floored. And I, I reckon, not even a minute, ninety seconds. I got a message from you, and then. Uh, our little group chat on on Messenger similarly had a yeah. message on that, and it was like it was genuinely, um, you, you don't want to get too wrapped up in it because it is an absolute tragedy. But we don't we don't know the guy, so we can't be emotionally you know as connected as we would be to someone we know. But you just went, I think it was because it was such a shock. Yeah, I think it was because you see, I mean, after the fact, you obviously see f- video and, and photo of him, and you go, yeah, he was, and I hadn't seen any of these photos no these paparazzi photos and you just went oh yeah wow. there was one where he was being called um 
uh, Crack Panther. <laughs> that is funny. Terribly. I can see in the yeah. time you'd be like, yeah, lol, this is a meme. But then knowing that he was basically just fighting cancer, you're like, yeah. oh. Yeah, with the context yeah. that he was battling stage four bowel cancer. That is yeah. not funny. Without the context, you're like, ah. <laughs> It's awful, but look, he was. I put a tweet out, and, and to just to the effect of, um, whilst everyone knows him as Black Panther, I think, and and what you're going to speak about with the Five Bloods is a really good example. He was so much a better actor than just Black Panther. Oh. Fantastic, yeah. and and you look at the people he played. I mean, he played Jackie Robinson. Forty Two is a really great film. Um, mm-hmm. Played uh, Thurgood Marshall. Um, he played. Um, James Brown, like these fantastic African-American icons, and he himself yeah. is obviously destined to become one uh, if he wasn't mm. already. But, yeah, just terribly sad. It was it was one of those things that we spoke about on the day that it feels like there's been greater context now to why there's been such a delay on another Black Panther film. Mm. And, oh, and he, he just wasn't fit. And, he wasn't uh, yeah, able to do it. and they've denied it. Like Marvel have denied it and his reps have denied it. But for me... This is a film that made like $1.6 billion. Yeah. I think it's the, the highest grossing standalone Marvel film. Um, 2018, to get to 2021-ish, and there's no talk yeah. of it even being in production. Like a lot of people when they did the stay, um, the next stage four or, you know, um, announcements were a bit like, where's Black Panther? Yeah. If this film's made $1.6 billion You've got a built-in audience clamoring for more. It's a it's a license to print money. And you sort of go, it's a bit odd that it's not on that original slate. That's a bit weird. But you mm. didn't think too much of it. But after the fact, you go clearly, without wanting to once again be macabre, you wonder if he actually just couldn't get insured. The nuts and bolts of the film industry, there's someone sitting there going, if this guy's seriously ill, we can't insure your $200 million movie. Exactly. Um because if he dies, or if he's unable to complete the film, and this is just a liability issue from an insurance company, it's terrible. It's a terrible way to interpret someone's illness in their life. But you go, I don't know, there's just something about the way it's unfolded where you kind of go, oh, that's why. That's why yeah. we haven't got another one. Yeah. And you can look at it from you know, like a really personable side and say, you know, it was right that they, like, it was, I guess, you know, um, it was the right thing to do and stuff, but there'd be so many people that would have been like, come on, Chadwick, come on. Just like, maybe just push it out. Like real we'll kind it? of change it up. It's like, no, just let it go. There's that fine line, isn't it? Between the business imperative. Yeah. And Disney being Disney, Disney, one of the biggest companies in the world. And they've got this property on the line worth billions, this character worth yeah. billions. And you sit there going, It'd be, it'd be an interesting, I've used this word a lot lately, it'd be an interesting philosophical discussion to be a part mm. of, to be, we've got this character, this property, this IP, um, that what do we do with? Yeah. And the talk already is that Shuri will be Black Panther, and you sort of go, oh, yeah, okay. That's, she's in the comics, isn't she? Yeah, there's variations. So you kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I, like I could see it. Yeah, um, but it'd be interesting how they, you know, hand it over per se. Like, well, that's and that's the creative, like, yeah, that's the creative quandary. They sit around the table and be like, all right, how how can we do this that's plausible? Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. But like, like plausible in a superhero movie way. Like, I would. It won't be, be logical, but it'll be you know. 
I had a theory. Now, this is batshit crazy, and I'm going to be honest with you, Will. I haven't thought about it since briefly thinking about it two weeks ago. But <laughs> you know it would be interesting? What? If they went, if they did like a reincarnation thing and they went to Michael B. Jordan. Mm-hmm. I don't think once you're a villain. No, but see, but, but did, he, did he die a villain? Or did he kind of come back to the light a little bit as a child of Wakanda and he had the royal blood in him and all that kind of stuff? And it'd be an interesting yeah. an interesting spin because he's a fantastic actor, Yeah, Michael B. Jordan. So it'd be an interesting... Very good looking as well. Very handsome man. It'd be, it'd be an interesting thing to potentially... And that's very comic booky as well. Like, let's be... Yeah. We, we speak about films, films being given the courtesy of suspension of disbelief. And, and people will give a film the courtesy of oh, that doesn't really make any sense. But then you sit there going, the whole fucking thing doesn't make any sense. Exactly. That's like when, um, oh, what was the thing someone was talking about? I'm pretty sure it was Superman. And somebody had a bugbear with something, some element of whether it be the suit or there was some issue this person was talking about. Doing Superman's really difficult because, you know, like, you know, the suit's really difficult for people to get their heads around the suit. Why is he wearing the suit? And some guy deadpanned, I'm not... Your heads are going to explode when they get to the flying bit. <laughs> like there's that courtesy we pay the film that in the best interest of the story or or the like, it'd be interesting. I think that there's something more creative than – and Letitia Wright's a really good actress and she was great as Shuri. Yeah. But is there a more creative, more satisfying sort of way to transition the character than just who else is in the room? Yeah. They just – they. I guess – the end point is that they just need to be careful. Yep. You know, the, one of the best ever, well, before we get into the five bloods, this is an example of something in the end that was really satisfying, but if you think mm. about it, it's, it walks a fine line. If you think about it, did it work? And you go, well, geez, what else could they do? But Paul Walker's death, mm. like they handled that as well as they possibly could. They shut down production to, to find a workaround, which delayed the film a little bit. And... Mm. Within the context of the film, it is quite awkward watching Fast and the Furious 7 because you sit yeah. there watching it knowing Paul Walker is dead. Yeah, and then anytime you see him, you're like, oh, fake CGI. Oh, they, but they play his mortality. They play Brian's mortality as like a, a wrestling-style false finish. Yeah. Like he's, he's running on the edge of a cliff off a bus. Oh, is he going to die? And you're going, this is a bit, this is a bit creepy. <laughs> but in the end... The way they transitioned his character out in the end was genuinely like one of the most beautiful moments. Like, who could have possibly imagined that would be in a Fast and the Furious movie? And made probably some of the most toughest me- toughest oh. men in the world cry. I was sitting there, having grown up with Fast and Furious, going, <gasps> oh, I'm okay. I'm good. You crying? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I just got something in my eye. <laughs> but it was really touching, really beautifully done, and it kind of broke the fourth wall a little bit, and it was probably more yeah. about their friendship off-screen than on-screen. And in the moment, you're watching it going, geez, this is about as good as you could possibly manage from this tragedy. Yeah. So it'll be interesting what Marvel do, because Black Panther is naturally a character that deserves to continue, and Chadwick Boseman's legacy deserves to go on. Yeah. But how do they balance the story imperative with the business imperative with the emotional imperative, it's a really hard situation to be in. I suppose Star Wars tried to do it with Princess Leia and that was a fucking debacle. Yeah. 
that's actually a really good example of it not working. It's a really yeah. good example of them going, trying too many things to shoehorn a character into the film. Just to have her in there for the Just to have her in there. And I get that Black Panther's a much more important character in the scheme of a Black Panther movie than Leia is in the scheme of... I guess that how they did Leia gets all like the, you know, for instance, my mum, we watched one of the latest, uh, I think the middle one with Leia in it. And she's like, ah... No, uh, absolutely. And it gets, it gets those part-timers in going, ah, yeah. oh, oh, she's in it. No, oh, that's lovely. Totally when agree. You and me are like, ah. <laughs> and, and for someone who loves the property, it's a really, it's actually a really good example. I don't know why I went to Fast and the Furious first. Um, but with, <laughs> with Leia, so the way they'd apparently structured those new trilogy was that the first film was going to be about Han's relationship with the protagonist. The yeah. second film was about Luke's relationship. And then the third film was about Leia's relationship. So Leia, um, Carrie Fisher died in 2016 when, well, more or less a full year before the release of The Last Jedi. If they could go back in time, if they could have their time over again, by the way, watch, there's a video of tribute at, at Disney and Lucasfilm put together for Carrie Fisher when she passed and it's on their YouTube channel. It is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. And if you haven't watched it, or if you haven't watched it in a long time, do check it out. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, it's about a four-minute clip, and it's just brilliant. Um, if they had their time again, the story imperative would be to have killed her off in The Last Jedi and serve the story and the character, her legacy, by sacrificing herself for the betterment of the new crop of heroes. So, you know, the the whole Vice Admiral Holdo flew the, the ship into the First Order? Yeah. Should have just been Leia. Yeah. And that gives her death utility to the story. It sends her out as a hero. And you sit there and go, it, it would have been a heartbreaking moment in the cinema where you're sitting there going, this is the end. And mm-hmm. it would have been a really effective emotional tool to send the character and carry off in a moment that best served the story. Instead, what they tried to do was a disaster. They're putting her into space oh, and her just like floating back in. Awful, awful. <laughs> and and then when they brought her back in Rise of, Rise of Skywalker and she's an... Just she's performing. She's they've got archival footage from different scenes and they're cobbling it together and it's just shocking. And yeah. everyone in the cinema knows, yeah, she's she's dead. She yeah. didn't, she didn't do this. And oh, oh, I don't want to fucking think about it. Talk about the five bloods. So, how, how far in are we? Twenty minutes on. <laughs> that was a good chat. Um. So the five bloods. I did by have. Spike, so I, I did have designs on this being a. Being a, a twite 60. <laughs> Throw that out the window and set fire to it, mate. A tight 300. All right. Uh, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods. Um, obviously, I'd, ne- I'd never seen a Spike Lee film mm-hmm. before this. Um, so I didn't really understand his way of shooting things. And I started watching it the first like 10, 15 minutes with Maddie just because we wanted something to watch. And then it was started, like, there was flashbacks and then there was current time, flashbacks, current time. And I could see her kind of losing it a little bit. So reaching like, for the phone. By she was reaching just, for the I'll, phone. I'll just, I'll just watch this by myself. This is a by myself movie. We'll watch something you want to watch. So we did. Came back to it. Watched, smashed it out in one sitting at about 1 o'clock in the morning um, on one of my nights off. Um, and, yeah, it's... It's a really nice piece by Chadwick Boseman. Um, have you seen it yet? I haven't. No. So it basically goes from these four, um, I guess, uh, 
former veterans, or they are veterans, um, pensioners that basically go over and retrace their steps. And the gist of the story is that they found they were back in Vietnam, they had this mission to retrieve gold that had crashed. They found the gold, they buried it and said, we'll come back to it. Didn't this happen um, in a Simpsons episode? Huh? Isn't this the flying hellfish? I don't know. I, I haven't seen that many Simpsons episodes, unlike you. Missing out. Um, but, uh, yeah, really, really nice piece. And there's, it's part of it's also, they do it more in the first half of the film than the second half of the film, but, like, historical archived footage um, just to kind of make people aware of the Vietnam War or like kind of some of the things that happened. Um, We'll see napalm and gassing and stuff. Um, It's it's very, very political. It's a really effective way to do it. Like actually that interests me because the Vietnam War, one of the defining aspects of the Vietnam War was that it was the first television war. Yeah. It was the first war on TV and it was the first war defined by footage of the front line back home to American lounge rooms. And, it, yeah. you know, you, they couldn't really spin it like they were, you know, previously, whether it be the Korean War, World War Two, particularly World War One, they couldn't really spin it, you know, as this really positive propaganda piece. It was, it was a war that America was not winning. Yeah. Which was chastening. And those TV images, you know, came to define a generation of people, you know, this anti-war sentiment that was like, is this our is this our war to be fighting in the first place? A hundred percent. And I think it is very effective. You know, the point you make about using the archive footage. I think that's a really good. Yeah, point. like in 20, 20, 30 minutes in, you're watching a monk burn themselves. You're watching um, that little girl run down that road that's all burnt. Um, so, in terms of like, you know, we've touched on it a fair bit in the pod that. I, you know, I, I like a, a war film. Um, amazing in the way of kind of historical accuracy and, you know, they don't hide anything. Um, but also a really nice story of the four dudes and there ends up being a son of one of the guys that comes on who's... Is he the, the fifth oh, blood? No, so the, the fifth blood is, I guess, Chadwick Boseman. Um, but Spoilers. he, spoiler alert, he, big spoiler alert, he unfortunately dies. Oh. Um... But then in, like, back in Vietnam, but when they go back and when they go to the flashbacks of combat, all the guys that are the like the veterans, they're just basically dressed up and still all have like grey hair and it's shot really weirdly. There's a young Chadwick Boseman who they would have remembered, but then like it's like their, it's almost like their flashbacks. So they're like seeing everyone as 60 old friends. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, super, super. I was just like, maybe that's Spike Lee's thing. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, really, really, it's long, two hours and thirty-four minutes. That is long. Um, considering I did watch it at one o'clock in the morning, I can gauge from that where I went, where I went to bed. <laughs> um, <laughs> you may as well have just soldiered through. <laughs> I, I remember that night looking out at the window and kind of seeing a bit more light than I that there was when I went to bed. I was like, I think that's the sun. I should probably go to sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> then yeah. going, i got nowhere to be. <laughs> really enjoyable uh, film, given the story, but, mm-hmm. you know, they work it out and there's a couple of twists here and there um, that you don't really see coming and it a lot of the a lot of the film's kind of up to the audience to decide what they think of certain situations and the history and, um, yeah, it's got a 6.5 on... Uh, 
IMDb, which I assume is the people that kind of, I mean, I don't fully understand Spike Lee's way of shooting something, but they want to watch a movie like, say, um, any of those big, like, war movies of the last five years, whereas this is just totally, like, almost like a very hipster movie. Um, so I, I can understand why it's a 6.5. I'd probably give it a, at least 7.5. Okay. okay. Um, I, re- I really enjoyed it, so. Where can people find The Five Bloods? Uh, it's tr- I'm pretty sure it's still trending on Netflix Australia. Okay. Um, I don't know if we have international listeners, but if we do, source it yourself. Um, yeah, sort yourself out. Yeah, but um, or you can you know do the allegedly right thing to do, which Sean does mm-hmm, always, um, and just source them illegally. Hey, um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, he's joking. Yeah. If anyone from Asia is listening, from my understanding, other than Chadwick Boseman, um, there's not any super super notable other actors in it. I think some of the older, some of the veterans that are in it. Um, they've been in stuff a while ago, but yeah, shot really well. Um, very, uh, very appropriate for the time as well. Mm. It's, it's very political. And one, like one of the guys is like super, um, super into Trump and the other one, all, and the other three are like, Oh, it's okay. He's fine. And, but he's just like super like veteran racist, um, all about guns and yeah. For it's, better or worse, we're going to look back on this era of media and go, we really fucking spoke about Trump a lot. Yeah. Like, for better or worse, and I get it, he's the President of the United States, but I think people are going to look back in 20, 30 years' time and be like, there's a lot of texts about Trump. Like, <laughs> like a lot. Like, not even George Washington's had this much shit made about him. Yeah. Um, so, thumbs up. Big thumbs up. Excellent. Really I think big. it's yeah. As we said off the top, I think it's really Boom, good, um, good opportunity to to go and source um, all of Chadwick Boseman's films because for the most part he was a he was a really uh, really solid actor in the sense that his work was solid. Yeah. So you know sometimes the actor is better than the film or the film is better than the actor. But um, look, he was he was a really really great actor. He's in a lot of really good films. Um, and I think yeah, we were all shocked obviously to read on that Saturday morning that he was no longer with us. So. The Five Bloods is a, is a great way. Is his last film, uh, as I understand. I don't think he had anything else in the can. Um, I don't believe so. No, it's his last film. So it's always um, uh, Heath Ledger, I think, was the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, as we'll all recall, a box office yeah. hit. Um, but, yeah, so check it out and uh, also go and check out all of his other films. Oh, no, there was one thing, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, oh. 2020. I don't know what that is. And Yasuk that was in pre-production, yeah, so I guess yeah, that's down the drain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, Chicago, 1927, recording session. Yeah. Ma Rainey, her ambitious horn player and white management. Uh, I don't know what that's about. Uh, um, we'll keep an eye out for that one. Keep our fingers on the pulse of that. Um, my first pick for this week, Will, I have not watched a film that I have enjoyed the first two-thirds of more recently more than this. Right. Class Action Park. What a humdinger of a documentary. And I just want to say that the first two-thirds of it are absolutely outstanding, like wall-to-wall um, punchline anecdotes about the craziness of Action Park in New Jersey, They're like the most infamous – it was a water park, like a theme park, the most infamous water adventure park ever. Six people yeah. died at this at this park. <laughs> 
<laughs> it is what they do. Like and this is the thing: the film spends most of the two thirds, um, like, <laughs> like retelling all these classic anecdotes, and just you're shaking your head, going, "What? This place was real. This happened." And then it, it obviously acknowledges that with that laissez-faire attitude came gross negligence that resulted in you know injury and death. And they kind of yeah. they kind of tackle the realities of yes, you've been laughing for the last hour and a bit about how crazy this place was, but the consequences were dire. Like what happened? Mm. Like people fucking died at this theme park. Yeah. But anyway, um, it's it's effectively it's on HBO Max. Um, it's it's basically just the truth is stranger than fiction story of this infamous New Jersey theme park um, and its founder, uh, Gene Mulverhill, who's no longer with us. Um, uh, Gene, they'd kind of go through and trace who he was. He was basically like a Jordan Belfort type. He sold penny stocks on Wall Street and he was a Wall Street shyster. And after he was like thrown out of Wall Street in disgrace, he had a bit of cash. He decided to buy these two adjoined ski resorts in New Jersey. Right. And obviously ski resorts in the winter, no problems. But in the summer, no good. He turned them into Action Park, which had everything it had – you know, I feel like Stefan, this place had everything. You know, it had, <laughs> you know, it had water slides, it had ski diving, it had bungee ropes, it had like, you know, go-kart style, like race cars. Yeah. It had this, this thing where you got in like a little miniature tank and fired tennis balls out of turrets at your enemies. Like it was, <laughs> it had uh, it chair lifts, you know, toboggan rides. It had uh, yeah. like mini golf sections, it, you know, skydiving, like, you know, um, you know, when you, you, you hover above the big fan, it was, it was basically just like a, a thrill park. You go down to this local thing. It all had everything, also including death. Had, you know, yeah, crucially, severe lack of health and safety. And <laughs> <laughs> everything you want from one of these places: adrenaline rushes. You know, there were stories of um, how all the food they bought was like out of date. So the hot dog buns, what they would do is put them in a colander over a, a like a boiling water to soften them up. So they so they were like moist. <laughs> it's it's basically this place. Themed buns. This base, this place was like the epitome of an eighties teen sex romp. <laughs> but it was like a real place. Like Adventureland. Yeah. Do you ever see Adventureland with Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart? I feel like I have. It's quite a good film. Um but this place is like that theme park, that hokey summer theme park on steroids. <laughs> the place was a complete free for all. I have this section where like um it was the guy says like they speak to all you know, old staff, people who used to go to it, a couple of people who lived in the New Jersey, New York area. And it was this, it was an infamous, infamous place. There was this ride. They go through kind of like itemized through the rides. There was like a water slide, which had yeah. a big loop in the middle of it. None of this stuff right. was designed by engineers. It was just like <laughs> you or me, like the, the owner, Gene Mulverhill would be like, I want to build this, I want to build this slide with a loop in the middle of it. And then it spits you out into this pool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just go build it. And we just literally go down to Bunnings and buy some tubing and put this thing together. People were getting stuck in it. People were smashing their faces in it. People were getting lacerated on exposed bolts. You know, <laughs> there was one ride where, like, the whole thing of the ride was you go down a water slide, which then spits you out into, a, like, a lagoon, like, 20 feet below you. 
And the guy said, so you're going down, he goes, he goes, you're going down this water slide, you're thinking, I'm having a good time, you're picking up a bit of speed. And then all of a sudden, it's just pitch black, you don't know where you're going. And then you just see this blinding light. And then light. the light comes out, like, you just, you, see this, you just see this blinding light hit you. And before you know it, before you know it you're like suspended 25 feet in the air. Because <laughs> people are landing on top of each other, people are smashing into the walls. Because the whole park was a literal free for all. Can you imagine being the first, um, like first people to test it? No, this so is the funny like, thing. They we, go through we this. Don't know how, we don't know how long you're going to fly. They go Just through go this. Gene Mulverhill, the owner, the brainchild of Action Park, would just give staff members a hundred bucks to do go be like test go go down and <laughs> test this thing and you'd go, well, well, am I going to die? And he'd go, well, there's only one way to find out. <laughs> like it's just brilliant. There was this section that had like a Colorado. I think it was called the Colorado Rapids, and it was basically you sit in like one of those those floaty tubes and you go down. It was envisaged initially as like a lazy, a lazy little river ride where you sit in the raft yeah. and you just float down the river and blah blah blah. Until one day, Gene Mulverhill decided, nah, that's shit. I want it to be class four rapids. <laughs> <laughs> so you got all these people, like, <laughs> they just get spewed down this river like a dozen at a time and they're just smashing into each other. The, the, the dinghy things are like capsizing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a phenomenal, it's a phenomenal documentary that paints an outstanding picture of like hedonistic 80s excess and negligence. It is, it is just the most brilliant fun until I get to the more serious stuff about people dying, which they obviously yeah. had to had to broach, and then it goes from being like really fun, really what the fuck am I watching? This place is real to, <laughs> oh yeah, people died, yeah that's that's not good. There was one where they had this um, <laughs> rather than like, and it was like a, not high octane as such, but rather than run of the mill you go to one of these theme parks and everything's a bit hokey and whatnot, rather than, you know, head out on this lagoon, this water, and in a paddle boat sort of thing and just gently paddle yourself around. People were in miniaturised Miami Vice speedboats. <laughs> and these things were, like, people... Pounding could, across the water. Yes. Like, there was no <laughs> rules. The, the water they were in was full of snakes, discharged gasoline, and, like, sewage <laughs> runoff. People were, like, falling into it and, like, having to be rescued. One guy, this lady tells a ma- magnificent story about how, you know, you get three laps of the lake and then you come back to the dock and you, you get out. Guy does that, comes back to the dock, he's parked up, and then this idiot, like, makes a beeline for the dock. He's travelling, like, at 50 knots and <laughs> ends up sitting on top of the other guy. He parked his right. little jet boat on top of the other boat. It's... And like I said, it's just, it's just wall to wall, like what the fuck, you know, when you go to the show and you're walking around, you're like, you're thinking maybe I'll go on some of these rides. And then you think these were put together yesterday by a guy that didn't finish high school. This, the whole of action park (laughs) was that. And it's, it's just a love letter to like eighties, eighties excess. As I said, it's absolutely phenomenal. And then it gets rather sobering and you're like, oh, yeah, okay. But outstanding watch, um, really good fun and then really, really well done when it needs to be serious. Um, I could not recommend Class Action Park more than I, than I am right now. It's phenomenal. Go and watch it. Watch it immediately. Um, I'm just trying to think one of my other fa- funny – one of my other favourite anecdotes was um, obviously when you open a park like this, 
you need like public liability insurance. Yeah. Like Disneyland, Disneyland has insurance. This guy couldn't get insurance because he was running a death park. So he just created a shell insurance company in the Cayman Islands and insured himself. <laughs> it's just madness. It's madness. And then like the Jesus. guys the guys the guys are telling stories about using the like toboggans down this like this this slalom toboggan course. A little bit like like a cool running style. You get on the little go-kart sort of thing, uh, sled, and you go down this this course. And this guy's saying unless you had like a preternatural understanding of momentum and like, you know, uh, engineering mathematics, because you would pick up so much speed coming down this hill. It was, it was like a, it was like equipped for an Olympic loser, like an Olympic. <laughs> and they had footage. He goes, that was if your brakes worked. You meant to pull up on this little joystick to like slow yourself down. He goes, yeah, yeah, if if it worked, like if the toboggan, <laughs> if the toboggan wasn't defective. It's crazy. It's Jeez. a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant film. Brilliant doco, I should say. Absolutely magnificent. Two enormous thumbs up. Class action park. Just. I can't. I can't say enough. It's fantastic. I loved it. <laughs> it's, it might be one of uh, my, one of the, my, my favorite things we've reviewed in terms of just. I don't want to labor the point, but when it gets to the having to acknowledge death, you know the yeah. mo- the momentum sort of leaves a little bit. But up till then, it's like an hour of just wall to wall crazy stories, like mm. just nuts. So hunt it down. Class action park. You'll love it. I will. I'm sure I will. Um, my DOS, my, my number two, um, is, let me just pick between my options, is a EP. An EP? Um, an EP. Eight songs. Um, of, hold on, before I start anything, actually, I was thinking about this today, pre-pod. Mm-hmm. I was going, you know, I know your taste in music. You know mine. Early 2000s. You're a kid. Did you ever like hip hop or rap music? No, <laughs> not one bit. Eight Mile was one of the biggest things of all time at my school. People, you know, couldn't get enough of it. It was the biggest thing going. People loved Eminem. Uh-huh. Didn't get it. Hated it. Refused to buy in. <laughs> wasn't it was a bad Is movie? I don't like. Not it was, one bit of hip hop or rap music do you like? Uh, that guy occasionally rapped in some forty one. Never heard of. Never heard of Sum Forty One. Um, no, I know Sum Forty One. I've never heard the rap in a Sum Forty One song. What about Lincoln Park? Do you like Lincoln Park? I didn't mind. Yeah, I didn't mind Lincoln Park. What about the guy that raps in Lincoln Park? Yeah, yeah, like it's okay. Yeah. Anyway, my album isn't Lincoln Park. Okay. Um. <laughs> so a rapper by the name of H. Just one letter, H. A A I T C H. What the fuck are they doing? He uh, he resides in. Is Takashi is Takashi six nine still alive? He is still alive, and he is he's alive and well. He is marketing himself like no one else. He's obviously come out of house arrest, and he's going through all like the big American YouTubers and doing a collab with them. He's just released an album, and Logan he's just Paul? like flying. He's flying, literally. Yeah, he's like, he's he's ridiculous how well he, how well he's doing post jail. Maybe I don't reckon that the other guys, the guys that he knocks, 
I don't reckon they give a shit about him. No, I think they only give a shit about him when there's other shit going against mm. him, like when he was getting trials and yeah. stuff. They're like, yeah, fuck these guys. But he is, like, he would be making so much money at the moment. It's crazy. He looks like a starburst pimp. <laughs> he looks like a crackhead. That's what he looks like. Yeah. Um, he's, so this, he's the real crack panther. <laughs> exactly. So this H uh, resides in New Moston, in North Manchester, one of your favourite yeah, places in the world. like Moss Town. So it just says New Moston yeah, in North Manchester. I reckon I've seen a street sign or a this way. Yeah, so he he is Manchester through and through. He sounds like it when he raps. Mancunian. Um, there's no other huge northern rapper or Manchester, like Manchester's north, correct? It is. Yeah. Um, there's no sort other of. huge northern rappers per se, so he's kind of got his own little style. Um, and I... The, again, the I guess it's a bit different with an EP, but I got three of the songs on my on my library, so um, kind of to comes to that rule. But uh, he, yeah, he basically blew up. I'm gonna say two years ago. Um, he just he like anyone started just you know rapping in the classroom and whatever, and all his friends vibing. Um, <laughs> the teacher, teachers like mate, uh, mate, fucking trying to trying to teach you here about. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to teach you about, uh, what do they review in school these days? The shark net. <laughs> Seminal Australian coming-of-age novel. <laughs> so um, keep the rapping to a minimum. He basically blew up from a uh, just a freestyle that he chucked up on YouTube. Um, that, that beard kind of is about to obnoxious. just sit there going, ah. Oh. For those listening, Sean is, is uh, beardy. Combing his beard. It's getting all getting all coppery. Oh, oh dear. Uh, yeah, basically blew up uh, on YouTube. He got five million views in five months on this freestyle, mm-hmm. um, and then kind of just worked his way up the underground UK scene, um, and to the point now where he's uh, he's received co-signs from um, big brands. Probably one of the bigger UK rappers at the time at the moment, Stormzy. Um, yes. He's done collabs. He's done, done collabs, collabs with, with Wiley Ma- and Bugsy Malone. He's done collabs with Manchester United, Stormzy. He, yes. Um, so he's – and he released a song earlier this year, Rain, uh, with a guy called AJ Tracy, who's been around the traps for a while. This might surprise um, you, Will. I've never heard that. Huh? I've never heard that. That might surprise you. I'm not sure. No, it doesn't surprise me one bit. Um, but, yeah, he – like uh, – who were they talking about the other week? He can't – Kid Leroy. Kid Leroy. At the moment, he can't make a bad song. Um, the not the environment, the uh, the people taking taking his music in, just like they, yeah. There's no bad reviews, um, and I'm one of them. I really enjoy his music. Um, anyone who hasn't listened to basically UK hip hop in general. They would have no idea what he's saying. Is that called grime? There's grime and then there's like just hip-hop and rap. Okay. Because grime's like real kind of still, it's like an underground-y type thing. Um, you've probably heard of Skepta. No. No? God, I really bank on you and your kind of English I, to be knowledge. Honest, to be honest with you, I sort of did lead you down the path then because I know of Stormzy, I know of Grime. Yeah. That's where it ends. 
<laughs> so I sort of did. <laughs> I did sort of overpromise, under deliver there. That's that's the extent of my knowledge. Okay, um, and, and, yeah, it's only, I, and I only know that because Stormzy did the Paul Pogba release announcement video. <laughs> um, so he's got like yeah, almost four and a half million monthly listeners on Spotify. He is still twenty one or twenty, I think. Um, he was due to come over this year. And obviously, fucking the world ended. Mm. Um, there was a bunch of UK guys that were on their on their way over, and um, think I had tickets to Stormzy actually in I think it was June that got pushed back to November, and that definitely won't happen. So no, I think I'll just get my hundred bucks back and you know put, put it in my pocket. He'll be um, back. He'll be back. He will. Um, so yeah, H. The EP is called Polaris or Polaris, however you want to um, say that one. Uh, I know you will not listen to it one bit, but any hip hop fans um, that are listening, give it a listen if you want to experience something a bit different. If you haven't listened to some UK hip hop or rap, um, big fan. And you know, if you can understand him, that's even better. It's all part of the accent, isn't it? The that's what makes it fun, trying to figure it out. Uh, speaking of, this, this isn't one of my picks, but it's interesting you mentioned the work of a UK band, Manchester band, but um, New Order released a new song overnight. Which I was, did see you tweet something about that. It's so good. Classic. It's like that. if you like New Order, you'll like it. It's classic New Order. It was really, really good. You hear it, you're kind of going, you know, those bands that are now you know, operating the 40th odd year, you're sort of going, oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll listen to what they've got to offer, and it's a really pleasant surprise when you hear something and you go, yeah, it's really good. Mm. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, so if you are a fan of New Order, do check that out. That's called, what is that actually called? I've forgotten the name of the song. While you're finding the name of that one, I actually, I'm just on Spotify at the moment. Um, just I was on H's page, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy scrolling down the friend activity section mm-hmm. on Spotify on the uh, on the app for like the PC. You see what everyone listens to. It's a good idea. You see someone, you're like, oh, okay, you listen to Justin Bieber. <laughs> I see. <laughs> <laughs> I'll remember this. Um, it's called Be a Rebel, the new New Order song, and it's quite good. Well, my uh, second pick of the week is something that I actually um, I've enjoyed for a really, really long time and uh, came back in, obviously, when you're on Apple Podcasts, you know, you follow the podcast that you want to consume and, and be alerted of new episodes. And these guys hadn't released a new episode for a little while just because of scheduling and, and uh, COVID situation and the like. Uh, it's called, called the uh, weekly watch list. It is called the weekly watch list. Absolutely. This is a plug. <laughs> uh, that was very good. Very good. Um, it's called the art of the score or art of the score. And it's a podcast produced in Melbourne by three local boys, uh, Andrew Pogson, Dan Golding and Nicholas Buck, uh, who I actually Daniel have a, Golding. Dan Golding. Dan Golding. Dan Golding. Yep. He he was my lecturer at uni. Yeah, there you go. So out of the yeah. score, ab- such a nice voice. Yeah, well, it's, I've never met him, but his voice is nice on the record. Um, yeah. I've actually got to connect Nicholas Buck, Fabian, uh, the big Fabaganoush. He's <laughs> his friends with the Buck family grew up with them, and Nicholas Buck played uh, piano at Fabian's wedding. Um, and they're sort of not bad, they, like not mates, mates, but like you know, yeah. acquaintances and the like. Um, so it was so funny. Fabian was actually the one who got me onto this podcast. Effectively, Art of the Score is basically a score um, that chats about uh, film scoring. And it, and it really yeah. 
completely deconstructs. They pick a score um, each each episode. Sometimes they do over multiple episodes, depending on how big it is. But they pick a score and they just they pick it apart and they celebrate it. And the highlights for me are always when Nick, who's an unbelievably talented uh, musician, he basically plays the, the themes and the motifs on a piano and, yeah. and kind of um, re- reimagines them, you know, uh, really helps, I suppose, with them in terms of um, getting their points across as they're discussing the finer points of the score and what the score is trying to say about a particular scene and the like. And it's just, that's probably my favourite part of it, when you, you, you hear him play something that is so iconic and, and so ingrained in your memory with the image of whatever's on the screen at the time. And he yeah. goes, yeah, yeah, it's like this, and really like nonchalantly plays. Oh, it's phenomenal! Like it's phenomenal. <laughs> and um, they've done a whole lot of John Williams stuff. They've done, you know, the Star Wars films. Uh, not all of them, but but a few of them. Um, I'm pretty sure they've done. The last episode was the Mummy, the 1999 film, which was fantastic. That was a really good episode. Um, they've done Little Mermaid. They've done the work of Nick Cave and Warren Ellis, which is phenomenal. Uh, Empire Strikes Back. There's a great bit in Empire Strikes Back, which goes to serve or celebrate just how important film scores are that um, it seems so obvious and and uh, when they explain it you go yeah yeah of course but there's a great bit where they go to Cloud City and they play the music from the scene where they're going into Cloud City and it's it's ominous and it's unsure because the, the score is prompting us to be to have misgivings about where they're going who they're meeting you know we don't know we don't know where our heroes are off to and it's the score is very uncertain of itself. The atmosphere is is murky, what's happening. And then they get there and they meet Lando. And then as they go into Cloud City itself, um, um, the film or the score becomes this really chipper, it's almost like an ad. It's almost like an ad for a resort. And it's meant to make you feel at ease. But what it actually is, is it's, it's a veneer. Mm. And it's hiding, you know, the truth. It's hiding what this place really is and the danger that they're really in. And it's just absolutely like classic filmmaking. It's classic composing. And in the case of a guy like John Williams, he's absolutely flawless. Um, That's just an example of his genius. And what I love about this particular podcast is not just as a lover of film scores, the the topics they they discuss and the way they deconstruct the scores and the way they, you know, highlight the themes and the motifs that run through sequels and set up um, further action and the like, but just... I suppose the reverence in which they hold these incredibly important parts of the filmmaking process. You know, John Williams, like there's a fantastic episode about the prisoner of Azkaban, which is an, an outrageously good score. Um, James Bond, they, they really yeah. go through into James Bond in, in sort of two or three episodes. They do Hans Zimmer's gladiator, which is out just outstanding again. Uh, How long has this pod been around? It's been around for a long time because they can only do, they, they do episodes once in a blue moon. Like, it's been around for yeah. four or five years. Um, is there a Wonder Woman one on there? Because I'm pretty sure Dan did a big – he did, like, a publicised thing on the Wonder Woman score. May, he, but that's what he does. Like, he's a – generally speaking, like, that's his vocation. As you said, uni lecturer sort of critic. So he might have just done that not for the podcast but just in general for his, his academic work or his, his, yeah. his work in general. Yeah, because he did something um, – he did a show with a chick from Triple J on ABC yep. about TV music or movie music as yep. well. So in terms of a – like in, as, as a bloke, unbelievable. And like a, and an educator, unbelievable. 
But as a media head, he's just so – and he's still so young as well. Mm. He's so aware of everything and what's going on. And, like, he'll – yeah. I just – I he was easily in my top three lecturers of my, you know, 24-odd oh. units I did. That's excellent to hear. Well, yeah. he, he comes across that way. Well, they all do. They're all great. And uh, some of my favourite episodes, I love they do um, Danny Elfman's score for Batman – they do Jurassic Park, which is fantastic. They do Raiders of the Lost Ark, Empire Strikes Back, brilliant. Um, no matter how much you love the film, Back to the Future was a great episode. If you love the films, you're probably predisposed to love the episodes. Um, and then there's stuff like How to Train Your Dragon, which I've actually I've never seen the How to Train Your Dragons, but the, epi- uh, the episode great, the episode great, on that is brilliant. The episode yeah. about John Powell. John Powell's an absolutely outstanding sort of up and coming composer. And that particular episode is is magnificent. I really, I really can't. A little bit like a Class Action Park, but in a different way. I really can't speak any more highly of this. It's absolutely outstanding. Um, if you love storytelling, and if you love um, some of the elements of storytelling and and whatnot that don't get talked about a whole lot, um, and get talked about in this detail with this much love, reverence, information. It's it's absolutely superb. Art of the score. Um, homegrown as well, done in Melbourne by three Melbourne boys. Um, available. All podcasts are, like I said, the newest episode, The Mummy's Up, and it's absolutely outstanding. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith's score is a classic score, much forgotten score, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, that, that's been up for just over a week, and um, there's plenty, there's, there's sort of 32-odd other episodes. It's, it's um, a real treat when you get the notification that, there's a new art of the score. You kind of go, oh, fucking great. Drop everything. Yeah, no, you do. Fantastic. How good is this? Yeah. So art of the score, um, go and listen to it. You'll love it. I would highly recommend watching How to Train Your Dragon 1, 2, and 3. Well, after watching the – sorry, watching – after listening to the podcast episode about it, um, it, was like a, it was fantastic and you listen to just the music and you kind of go, John Powell's score is excellent. Uh uh, Johnsy or Yonzi, however you say the Sigur Ross guy's name, um, is a is a phenomenal musician as well, and he obviously had yeah. lent songs to it. And um, yeah, I definitely felt compelled. I listened to the episode the other day and went, yeah, I'll um, I'll make time to check those out. Yeah, very 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 good piece of work by DreamWorks. When they get very it right, good. when they get it right, DreamWorks can be very good. Oh. I mean, I actually reckon in some ways they may have gone past Pixar. I would think so. At the moment, yeah. Basically ever since Toy Story finished, Pixar just like, what do we do Well, Pix- the problem with Pixar is they always had this nose, not a, they didn't have a nose sequels philosophy, but their philosophy was fresh, you know, new, groundbreaking storytelling. Yeah. And, and ever since they've, Disney kind of bought them and they went to the one-for-one model, you know, a, yeah. one original film for one sequel, prequel, tie-in, they're kind of falling away. Did you see Onward? Onward. That was the Let newest me. one that had um, Chris Pratt, Tom Holland, at the Magical Brothers. No. It was, like, it was okay. It was okay. But it wasn't absolutely, wasn't at the standard that Pixar films used to be can't miss. Have to. You have to go and see it. Yeah. Um, and they've just come back to the pack a little bit and, like I said, I've, I've heard nothing but good things about How to Train Your Dragon and the, the art of the score episode has um, not changed that. Mm. Mm. 
Excellent. Well, my last one for today, uh, and something that you actually mentioned last week, so I know that you'll be able to talk about it a lot. Um, high school. Yes. Uh, so I watched the first episode, got about 20 minutes into the second one and got pulled away doing something else. But, but um, as a, you know, as a avid gamer um, and kind of enjoyer of nostalgic uh, electronics, you could say, uh, high score was something that was really, really interesting and well, really well put together. Mm. Um, the first episode, how they kind of talk about something and then go, hold up, pause there, we'll go back and elaborate on this story to then understand you on the other one. Um, it's just, yeah, crazy how, and it's funny how the big companies see these like college kids, um, you know, basically fixing it, making their stuff better and going, let's like, let's hire them. Mm. Um, but yeah, was that, thoroughly, that was, thoroughly was that the story it. of the guys who did the, the variation, the board, the, they put the board yeah. on um, to make like uh, Donkey Kong harder and Pac-Man harder and stuff like yeah. that. That this stuff to me, I remember I was sitting there watching the doco going, We take for granted what video games are now. Oh. But in the relative history of the universe, I always say this with regard to like medicine. Yeah. You think about 80 years ago, like a really common curable disease. If you got it, you were stuffed. Whether whatever yeah. it might be, polio or something like penicillin didn't exist until, you know, the the, the uh, 20th century. Video games didn't really exist until like the seventies, kind of. Yeah. And then even then, that was so rudimentary. What about? Have you watched the episode where the guy makes that like, um, that sort of RPG style game using the computer paper? No. It's a, it's a it's a fucking it's a trip. Like this guy yeah. made this game. It was the most like this so time consuming to program this really rudimentary computer, and it makes you makes you laugh like. If you ever needed context, the Apollo 11 went to, landed on, and came back from the moon with less processing power than an iPhone. <laughs> like less CPU. And you sit there and go, that's what they were dealing with in like 69 and for a very long time. How rudimentary video games were and how like, how cutting edge the guys at the forefront of this revolution were. Yeah. Like it's, I can't get my head around it. Yeah, it's, it's, and like watching it, you're going, bloody, like these guys, they'd been, you know, it was something they almost like fell into. Um, they were all kind of doing something else when they figured out they could do this other thing. Um, when they're, you know, they're, and then like, and then the Atari came along and basically just like blew all these old kind of arcade ones out of the, out of the water. The arcades are obviously still a thing and they still were a thing, but it's like nowhere, you know, it's only all, it's all nostalgic stuff now. Mm. Um, and, you know, they're collector's items and whatnot. But I think like if you're not so much a part-time gamer, but like an avid gamer like myself, and I guess I, I, I would slot you into my slot as well uh, of that. You like, you see your old space invaders and like, ah, oh, fuck yeah. Let's just like sit down and, like punches out and Pac-Man as well. Um, you can see why it was so amazing at the time and why everyone wanted to play and everyone wanted to be, and wanted to be the best because there was now there's no, I guess it's too boring now, but there is no high score mm. sort of game. There's it's no, all either big stories or 
swinging fast. There's no like aspirational mark. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie, one of my favorite movies, The King of Kong? As in King Kong or is yeah. it actually called The it's King called of Kong? The King of Kong. So it's a, it's a true story documentary about the race to be the high score holder on Donkey Kong. Right. And it's, it's, um, that's a little bit of a, of a film to explore in, in either way. If you watch the King of Kong and enjoy it, you will probably really like high score and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and it speaks to what you're saying. These are these guys that grew up in a generation, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties, when they were at their most impressionable and video games, you know, burst into the public consciousness and were so, whilst they might seem so hokey by today's standards, back then, like Pong, mm. to be sitting in the living room and to be playing that was just extraordinary. And high school does a really good job of explaining, you know, the the social, um, uh, you know, utility, I use the word again, of the arcade, the idea that you go to the arcade with your friends and that's, you know, you, you sit, sit at the arcade and it was a money boon until players got too good. Yeah, exactly. And then yeah. Next like, game. Arcades were a license to print money, and then they figured out, no, players are actually learning the game, so they a quarter goes further, which yeah. means we're making less, less money. And then that was the, polyp- you know, the proliferation of games becoming well, – that was the birth. Right there, that moment was like the proliferation of games becoming what they are now. Yeah, that was the that was the uh, you know the the tadpole crawling out of the out of the water and becoming a fish. And then there's almost a second wave of that with of the last three to four years with free games yep. and microtransactions. Yep. Um, like That's you look the at, evolving business model, isn't it? Exactly, and like there's so many games now that obviously you'll be able to buy the full game for eighty, ninety bucks or whatever, but. Um, especially things like Battle Royales, here's a free game, but to kind of enjoy yourself, spend 20 bucks. Mm. Oh, next week, spend 20 bucks. <laughs> like, in, and if hey, enough, this isn't free. But yeah. it's, it, no, I agree. I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's six episodes um, on Netflix, and it's just traces, yeah, the, the and, and not only just games, but it, it really gets down to the nitty-gritty of um, whether it be... Uh, those role-playing like Dungeons and Dragons tables games, whether it yes. be um, you know shooters, whether it be uh, they do a great episode about um, like the consoles a little bit later on. So gaming in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, it's um, I really enjoyed it. I really, I really yeah, liked same. it. I, I liked it when they go to like Japan and they had the um, um, oh, just drawing a blank on the, the the Nintendo guy's name, the main guy, and they explained that those American kids had came over to help work on. Um, Star Fox or something, and anyway, this Japanese guy, Nintendo, put them in this far-flung office at the you know out of out of sight, out of mind. Not to be rude as such, but just separating yeah. them. And the the big the big wig at Nintendo, the the creator of Mario and the like, would like walk in just to have a durry. <laughs> he'd walk in and just stand there because like, he wasn't allowed to smoke in the office or something. So he'd come down to their office and just like light up like a chimney. <laughs> I agree with you. I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah. Um, and I'll be interested to get your opinion on um, the rest of the series because they, they get into first-person shooters later on. Yeah. Which is quite cool. And they talk to the Doom guys, and um, which is which is excellent. And no, it was, yeah, it was uh, 
yeah, Netflix obviously working on that 80s nostalgia. When they get it right, um, people will lose their mind for it. Yeah, and like it's, I guess, it's especially in the current climate as well, they, like they may have looked at holding this back for a year or two or whatever, but um, given the, I would think in, you know, Netflix, Stan, um, Amazon, HBO, there'd be so many things that would be like sitting there and yep. they wouldn't have released them this year and then they've gone, fuck it, we'll just do it. People are free. People have time. Well, one of my um, one of my most an- this is not about high score, but yeah, one of my most anticipated films of the year is Wes Anderson's new film called The French Dispatch, right. and that was meant that was meant to be out, and you, you're kind of sitting on it, going, Fox Searchlight now owned by Disney. Actually, I don't know who would be distributing it, or under what Searchlight, maybe under what banner, but um, that's one of those films where they it's not going to be they could probably hold on to that. Like it's yeah. that's that's a film that if it goes really well might make a hundred million dollars worldwide. Yeah. But probably not. So whilst they want to make money on it, that's probably a film that they're prepared to sit on. Yeah. Because it's not as time sensitive. Um yeah. they probably think it's a really good film, but oh, we'll just we'll just hold on to it for a while. And just as equally, we might friggin' wake up tomorrow and it's on demand. Yeah. You know, so it's tricky. But no, I uh I'm well. I'm I'm giving high score two thumbs up. Yeah, I got a seven point four IMDb. I'd probably give it an eight. Okay. Yeah, I reckon that's probably fair enough. Yeah, I reckon that's probably on the money. Um, we're going to stay in the streaming kind of doco realm here. My uh, third and final pick of the week is Tottenham Hotspur All or Nothing, which is an Amazon Prime documentary. Um, six of the episodes have been aired already. They go in three episode blocks, um, and it's just basically a, a behind the scenes look at um, Tottenham's season just gone. So, uh, it's just a really solid sports doco. We're seeing quite a lot of them prop up now, and um, Amazon obviously did the test, which was really well done. We've spoken about Drive to Survive on Netflix, and uh, I've spoken about Class of '92, which is which is about Salford City, and um, this is just the latest in the line of Amazon Prime sports docos they've done, just got the list they've done, one about the Arizona Cardinals, Los Angeles Rams, the Cowboys, the Panthers, uh, the Eagles. Um, the last soccer one they did was Manchester City, uh, and they've also done a really good one about the All Blacks. Um, and it's just it's just quite a, quite a good sort of little doco. You obviously need to probably accept that we're not getting the whole picture, we're getting what they're prepared to show us. But at the same time, we get some pretty cool stuff. We get... Um, Is that where the meme of um, Jose Mourinho, like listening to the news it's brilliant. in the office it's, has come from? So he gets hired as new Spurs boss, replaces Maurizio um, Pochettino, and he's in his office, and he's sitting there, and he's got the TV on, he's playing Sky Sports, and there's like the Sky Sports guys are talking, you know, about his appointment. And at one point, one of them sort of questions his appointment, and his eyes like immediately <laughs> dart up to the screen. <laughs> And then they're kind he of going, like, listening oh. he's listening. And then like they, they kind of, one of the guys has a you know an opinion. Oh, I think that's the wrong man. And he gets up and turns the screen off and says, fuck off. <laughs> Jack acid. But he's great. Like he's, I was speaking to Faber Ganoush about this, who's been watching it as well. And Maurizio Pochettino is a great manager. And it's a shame that his time at Spurs ended the way it did. But the best thing that could have ever happened for this series is Jose. Because yeah. love him or hate him, he is box office yeah like do you think he's an idiot you think he's a hero whatever your opinion opinion of jose Mourinho is when he's telling his players to be cunts 
and when he's like in his team meetings and, you know, he, at one, one day he's talking about how he's really flat today because his dog died <laughs> and stuff like that. He is box office. Yeah. Um, and he's worth watching it for. It's funny because like the doco kind of starts and they, they sort of do a little bit about Pochettino and Pochettino gets sacked. It's almost like the producers have gone, just get to Jose. We need to get to the bits with him because he is, he is why people are watching this. He is why people yeah. will return to this because he's such a – if you love football, you know Jose and you know his mannerisms, yeah. you know his character, but you don't – you get to see what he's prepared to show you on the touchline, in a press conference and the like. Whereas here, to actually see him mingling in the in the um, team meeting room at halftime, post-game, pre-game, to see him um, on the training pitch, it's interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting portrait um, – of one of the most famous coaches in the world. Yeah. More than it is the team. The team do get moments. Like he has a he has a, a phenomenal little segment where he's talking to Danny Rose. Danny Rose has been at Spurs for over a decade and he basically comes in and says, if you're not going to play me, sell me. And he has a really robust chat yeah. with Jose. That's fantastic. The saga around Christian Eriksen, he ultimately goes into Milan, one of their best players, is, is really interesting and really well done. Um, yeah, look, I think we've all got, in this day and age, we've all got a real appetite for fly-on-the-wall sport docos. And I think we can all, you know, the 30 for 30s of the gold standard and the last dance exceeded all expectation. Um, but this is just a really solid, well-done entry. It's a really, really watchable um, documentary about particularly Jose, but, you know, a team mm. and a club who and players who we're all familiar with. And if you like football you will probably like it. If you like sport, you will probably like it. Um, I don't know if it's got the crossover appeal of a last dance, which was more of a no. cultural movement. Yeah. Um, in, the, in the sense that a lay person could watch it and appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. But uh, no, it's really good. It's, it's a really, it's a really enjoyable. I hang out every Monday for the episodes to drop and um, to suss them out. It's uh it's a really, really watchable show and, and something that I do recommend. Mm. I'd like to think, I mean, you, you said 30 for 30 is kind of the pinnacle, but I'd like to think the sort of fly-on-the-wall focus around coach sort of thing started from this. I haven't se- I hadn't seen anything like Last Chance You. We talked about it a couple Last of weeks ago. Last Chance You. I'd like to think that, I'd like to think that it, something like a little bit of inspiration from that because that, that's been around since 2016. Um, which in the, in the scheme of things and sports docos over the last couple of years is a while because there hasn't really been a whole lot available other than 30s to 30s. So I, I would personally like to think a little bit of the way it's shot stems from that. I think that it's a good point because ultimately the coach is probably the most compelling member of any team. Yeah. Because he is so out of or he's so not in control of what is happening but he's accountable for everything he's yeah. got complete oversight and the football club really bends to his whim at any one time you know what players he wants how he wants to play etc the keys to the kingdom are given over to one guy and rise and fall on his success and it's it's ruthless. It's brutal. Like there's a, there's a there's a really nice sequence where Daniel Levy, the chairman of Spurs, is talking about relieving Pochettino of his job, and you can see that it 
like it cut him up and he, he spoke about how they've gone on holidays together, their families, and they've got a great relationship. And he, you know, in a, in a quieter moment, reflects that, look, that's probably not going to happen for a while. Mm. He goes, look, I hope that it happens one day again. You can see that there's a genuine love and care, um, you know, at these football clubs for, for the people in them and the relationships that they hold. And I don't know, it's interesting when you see a team as big as Spurs and, and they're a massive team, Premier League, you know, playing the Champions League final just last year. And the tenants that underpin a local football team are the same as those that underpin the biggest teams in the world. Yeah. You know, and the problems they have are egos, injuries. The only difference is millions and millions money, worth of money. Money and eyeballs. And yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, like I said, they've got all the same problems. Um, their successes are enjoyed in much the same way in, 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 in a lot of senses, a lot of respects. And, um, yeah, it's a, as I said, it's that, that sort of coming-of-age genre now that we're inundated in. And to get market cut through, you have to be pretty good. Mm. like to get people's attention now because there is such a slate of these type of docos and it'll be interesting to observe um obviously the AFL have teamed up with uh, with Amazon and Eddie Maguire I was just about to say that have you seen how many AFL teams have camera crews now well yeah like, like so so I think we spoke about Carlton I think that I think I could be wrong but my understanding is Eddie Betts is the focus of the Carlton one right um whereas they mix it up and it might be a coach at another team Etc. Yeah. An administrator, maybe, and they, they're going to try to capture the breadth of an organization. But you know, it'll be interesting. Like they've obviously got a, a standard at Amazon, which or a template, if you will, um, that this will fit into. That they can hopefully sell it to not just our market but others. Um, yeah. So you know, you see the city one, the, the All Blacks one, the ones they've done for the NFL now, Spurs, and you go, yeah, he's, they're good. You know, they're well yeah. done. And if this is the standard we can expect, you go great. You know, I'm a real, real believer in um, just capturing stuff. You don't necessarily have to do anything with it. Yeah. But when you're at a footy club, you've got so many great stories to tell. Capture them, see what you can fashion it into. And uh, mm-hmm. I think this one does it quite well. It kind of helps too that, like Spurs had a really up and down season. You know, sack the manager, fighting for a top four. They're always just with out of reach of it and it's, they're always on the chase on the hunt we all know how it ends but it kind of helps that they had the injuries to their key players and it, it wasn't just a hunky-dory ride yeah it was like they were at class action park to be honest it was like they were on the <laughs> it was like they were on the river rapids ride getting thrown around so um tottenham hotspur all or nothing amazon prime it is absolutely uh wonderful really good watch do recommend mm. Hmm. Well, yeah, I think I, I, I saw the meme of Mourinho. I was like, what the fuck's this from? It has to be from some sort of like doco. I think I saw it on Twitter. And then I kind of did a bit of, a bit more research and then, yeah, found that. But, um, I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next, especially during, during like a year of COVID. There's going to be so many teams that were like, fuck it, let's record this. Like, mm. you know, if we happen to win a flag, it's, you know, a story of triumph, whatever. Um, but yeah, it, I love the idea. Of, I love the idea of like an annual. Mm. I just like that idea of documenting, you know, what goes on in any one year, and and you get, um, like from you know Carl's point of view, you know, you and I obviously having been there in the past, and and me being a fan now, you sit there and, and just off the top of your head, you go, 
yeah, you've got, got some interesting stories to tell. You've got losing a game after the siren, winning the game after the siren, you know, um, heartbreaking losses, exhilarating wins. You've got um, new new coach putting his or finding his feet in a pretty high pressure, high profile role. Um, you've got yeah the hardships that that come with being away and and the COVID situation. You know you've got the heartbreak of um, you know losing uh, H club stalwart and and how that affects you know the fabric of the football club. Yeah, you've got all the elements of a really compelling story. You and me both know that that won't happen. <laughs> well. Well, probably, <laughs> I don't know, maybe. They, they, they do a little bit of stuff, but you're like, yeah, like there's a cool, you know, capture this stuff, see what you do with it. And if you end up getting something that, let's be brutally honest, between um, this footy season ending and anything of meaningful note happening, you give, you give yourself a couple months to, to fashion it into something mm. that you can publish. So uh, as you said, I think that we'll start to see some some more – and Melbourne did not a bad one. Melbourne, the Demons in-house doco wasn't bad. Collingwood did one a couple of years ago, which is okay. Carlton's one was okay. You know, I'd rather that than nothing, you know, yeah. as a sports fan. So there is some internal stuff, which is quite good. But this is obviously production-wise a cut above all those. But, um, yeah, very much recommend. Very much recommend. Um, mm. What does that leave your pick of the week? My pick of the week, just because I'd watch nothing like it, to Five Bloods. Um, and obviously Chadwick. Um, but, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed watching something a little bit different to what I usually watch. And just in, like, I watch a lot of war things, but just in the way of how it's shot. Um, I know me a couple of years ago probably wouldn't have watched it. Just, oh, I would have got bored with it and gone, what the fuck? Like, I just want. This challenge in this structure is challenging me. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, as I've matured, as they say, uh, I think I've kind of grown to enjoy different styles. Um, so, yeah, The Five Bloods, little tribute to Chadwick Boseman. Um, that's my pick of the week. Excellent. My pick of the week is undoubtedly Class Action Park. <laughs> um, loved it. Loved it. Got to go watch it if you haven't seen it. It's um, that, yeah, it's that truth is stranger than fiction storytelling that you, you find yourself initially going, this place is crazy. And then they just keep ratcheting the crazy up as they tell you more stories about crazy, <laughs> crazy rides, crazy antics, people getting injured, people dying, and you're like, wow. And then at the same time, it kind of leaves you with this deep pang of nostalgia for a time that was, you know, had its foibles, had its issues, but at the same time was so, I don't know, it was just so unfiltered. Yeah. Just, so there was no oversight. There was no responsibility. You know, kids, you just get on your bike and you don't come home till 8.30. Your parents don't care where you are. You just walk in the door. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, it just paints this really vivid, really interesting picture of a time that will never exist again. 100%. And was only 30, 35 odd years ago. Yeah. Um, everything comes back in vogue at some point. Fashion is never finished, as they say. But, yeah, you, there will never be another action park ever. <laughs> With good reason, <laughs> like don't get me wrong, yeah. but there will never be another society that allows a place like this to exist. And then only after they realise, hmm, probably mm. wasn't the best decision. You know, we probably should have played closer attention to that shifty Wall Street businessman who opened that death park. Yeah. But no, Class Action Park, hunt it down, check it out. You will love it. Um, 
you'll, en- you'll enjoy it at worst. Um, I think that wraps it up. Will, that's not bad. It's tight. Tight. That's tight. That's a tight, tight. What are we at the moment? It's like a tight 76. That's good. That's one of our smaller ones. It is, isn't it? Considering we, <laughs> we waffled for like 15 fucking minutes about Chadwick Boseman at the start, rest in peace. Imagine um, if we didn't do that. We, it, it would have been a tight 60. We could have got to a tight a tight 60. We could have got like within range, but um, no. Thank you very much for listening, uh, for Will Peters. You can find me at Willie P. Oh, so I was teeing w- you up, huh? I was what? teeing you up. I was going to like you know give us the. Oh, you you gave you gave me a pause. No, oh, because I was. I... Were you meant to talk? <laughs> well, I'm talking. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can find me at Willie P. W I double L double Y double P double E. Um, you look really catchy. That's really, on everything. Really that's, that's on that's on the Twitter, the Instagram. That's on the Twitter, the PSN, the PSN. Uh, Twitch. I don't stream, but if you want to message me on Twitch, you can do that. Okay. Um, basically anything. Uh, yeah. Porn. Yeah, Pornhub. <laughs> that's my account. Uh, Spank Bank. Yep. There's um, a lot of solo work. <laughs> Only fans. <laughs> my browsers.com login is. <laughs> And for me, Sean Peterwatch, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next week, maybe, maybe in 10 days. Maybe two weeks, two and a half, (laughs) Maybe maybe every 10 to 14 days. (laughs) It's been a pleasure.